0: Are you properly filing taxes from your cryptocurrency investments? Do you know, believe it or not, the IRS does know what you owe, and a majority of investors are not filing correctly, or even at all. Cointracker can help take the guesswork out of filing and make sure you're doing it right. Joe talks with Shihan, head of tax strategy at Cointracker. Shihan is one of the handful of CPAs in the country who is recognized as an expert on cryptocurrency taxation. Joe asks Sheehan about properly filing procedures and tracking throughout the year, and also how you can save on taxes using your self-directed IRA. Remember to hire a good CPA familiar with cryptocurrency and to always be consistent. Hello, Shihan. Welcome to the show. Let's get rolling by giving us a brief background about yourself.
1: Hey, yeah, thanks for having me, Joe. Uh, so yeah, my name is Shihan, uh, my background is a CPA, uh, I'm the head of tax strategy at a company called CoinTracker, which is pretty much the tax for crypto tax uh, pairs. Um, so yeah, that's what I do.
0: So over, a, and how long have you been in the tax business?
1: Uh, Getting close to 10 years now, Uh, ever since, uh, you know, I got out of school and started as an intern, you know, made all the way from intern to a partner and now I'm with CoinTracker and, you know, I I do a bunch of other things in the tax field. Uh, But yeah, uh, it's funny to say that in the past 10 years, I've only been focused on taxes because this is something that a lot of people only care about around April 15th, but (laughs) for the past 10 years, that's all I've been doing. (laughs)
0: No, I agree. But everyone needs to be looking at it, you know, on a daily basis, obviously, because all the transactions throughout the whole year will affect their tax bill at the end, right?
1: That is, that's right. Yeah. So it's, you actually you had to worry about taxes like, like while you're inside the year, not when you file for taxes, because when you file for taxes, it's really it's barely you, you can't do anything to make an impact on your tax bill for the prior year. So you got to do you got to make actions. You got to do things while you're inside that tax year, which is which is right now.
0: So tell us a little bit about Cointracker and what it does.
1: Yeah, so Cointracker is a tool where you can connect your wallets and exchanges into one platform, and it just gives you the tax forms that you need to, to file with the, the IRS because, um, because if, you, if you guys are using crypto exchanges, you know, the problem with them is that they're not giving you the right information. They're, they're giving different types of tax forms. Uh, eventually, you need a tool like ours to kind of consolidate all those tax forms and information into one system, uh, and and produce the, the right tax form. So that's that's what CoinTracker does.
0: Now, do you concentrate only on U.S. people, or are you guys globally, or what jurisdictions?
1: Yeah, we we are based out of U.S. Uh, we mainly support U.S. taxpayers, but we also have support in uh, Canada, uh, Australia, and uh, U.K. taxes as well.
0: How do you manage? How do you manage all the different tax laws?
1: I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a technology product, so uh, it's pretty easy to scale. I mean, there are some minor differences between how you uh, create cryptocurrency, you know, across various countries. But generally speaking, uh, the countries that I mentioned uh, seconds ago, you know, Australia, UK and Canada, those countries, you know, tax cryptocurrencies as a property. So the, so the fundamentals are the same, but there are some, you know, minor uh you know edge cases so in those cases you know uh, you know we just had to kind of figure out those edge cases and kind of code that into to the technology product that we are building
0: for everybody who is getting started in the crypto space how important is it that they're tied to some kind of tax software
1: uh without a tax software it's virtually impossible for you to kind of calculate your cryptocurrency gains and losses uh, especially if you're using multiple wallets and multiple exchanges, the reason being because the IRS is treating cryptocurrencies as property, you need to keep good track of you know how much you paid for the cryptocurrency, and how much you are selling it for, and then the date you purchase. and And imagine you have, you know, I don't know, 10, 15 cryptocurrencies, you know, spread across multiple exchanges. I mean, how are you going to gather all the data? And even if you can gather those data is it worth spending your own time where you can you know spend that time you know doing something fun you know so that's why you really need a crypto tax software to kind of aggregate all that information and uh, pro, you know and then apply the latest tax rules because you know these rules they, they they change you know without even you knowing it so if you're relying on a tool you know we aggregate that information give you all the right tax form then it's just a matter of you finding your return and staying out of the irs trouble
0: now, do most uh, platforms or exchanges, uh, I guess, have API access and that allows that data to dump back into your software?
1: Yeah, that's right. So uh, there are a lot of exchanges that that it's just a matter of you copying and pasting the read-only API. So we don't have the ability to move or transfer any funds. We only have the ability to see the balance because we need to see that to produce the right uh, you know, tax form. So yeah, there's hundreds of you know exchanges that we have connected to APIs, but there are other exchanges that don't have this APS support because it could be some restrictions from the uh, from the exchange. side. So in that case, you can go to the exchange, download the CSV file, upload it. Uh, it's, it's a little bit of a manual process, but it's, it's still better than uh, running all those numbers on an Excel
0: spreadsheet. No, I agree. And, and in my experience over the last few years, it's something that is really good for investors to set up in the beginning. Because if you get months or six months down the road at the end of the year and you set up all these wallets and everything across multiple exchanges, you just have a big mess, Right. Yeah,
1: we, we get those cases all the time and uh, and a lot of you know OGs like you know they didn't even know about these crypto tax laws and you know because people started kind of discussing these taxes like around 2018 2019 they're like oh I didn't know I had to pay taxes or so some of them they had to kind of recreate that entire history and then some of those exchanges they don't even exist anymore so then it's just a matter of like how do we how do I even find out how much I paid for this like Uh, Like if you had to go to Mon Gox, like how are we going to get the transaction history report? That exchange doesn't exist. So yeah, like you said, Joe, I think it's best practice is to kind of get things started right. So then you don't have to uh, suffer in the future.
0: How does it work? I guess in regards to the, how does it aggregate all the data? You know, how does it pull in from all the wallets? Yeah.
1: So once you connect CoinTracker to, let's say, for example, Coinbase or Binance or Kraken from the APIs, we we pull the data from the exchanges, you know, your transaction history, purchases, sales and transfers, etc. And then we convert those amounts into U.S. dollars because your tax return is based on U.S. dollars. And that's where, you know, we add value because each of those, you know, it could be like airdrop or staking, like every little bit of those cryptocurrencies should be converted into USD each, you know, at the time that, that you receive it based on each second. So, and it, you know, it's not as easy as, you know, you're multiplying the number of units received by, you know, the price that you see in CoinMarketCap, because there are some pairs that you cannot find a price, uh, and some prices are not super accurate. So we, we kind of go to that cleaning, the, the cleansing the data. And uh, you know converting into USD and then and then transferring the, that information into the right tax forms. Because there's a bunch of tax forms that you need to use, and that, you know doesn't mean that all your crypto profits are uh, all lumped together in just one tax form. So and you know we prepare the tax forms and then then you file the return. So those are the those are the things that have been taken care of by CoinTracker if you if you use that.
0: And do you guys have different types of plans from like do it yourself to all done for you, or what is it that you offer?
1: Yeah. So. Uh, I mean, yeah, we do have a free plan. Uh, again, contractor, we, we don't actually file your return because that's a job that's, that's been done by, you know, companies like TurboTax and China Block. But we do have direct integrations with them. What we're really good at is kind of reconciling your cryptocurrency gains and losses, making sure you're preparing the right tax form specifically related to crypto. And, and yeah, so we are, we are responsible for the crypto piece. And then, then you can use one of these other software that I mentioned to actually file your taxes uh, along with your W2 income, basis income, and et cetera.
0: So I know you mentioned something about like kind of the OGs and maybe people in the past or years ago didn't participate in the tax or understand that it was gonna be taxable. You know, and that's probably one of the questions people ask is, how does the IRS know, right? And can you kind of explain the different ways?
1: Yeah, yeah, good question. Uh, I actually wrote a poster about it because this is a, this is a question that people are, are kind of afraid to ask like in public. But anyway, here's the answer for that. There are a few ways that the IRS knows you have something to do with crypto. So number one, so if you ever receive like a tax form from an exchange, it could be a form 1099K, 1099 Miscellaneous, 1099 Interest. Any type of tax form, that means IRS knows that information because that exchange has already reported your information to the IRS by the time they produce that form. So what I would encourage you to do is go to your exchanges, especially the US ones, go to their tax center or like settings or something, and see if you have any tax forms. If you do, that means IRS already knows your information. And if you don't report that information, then you're gonna get a notice. and you know, you, you, you know, I'm not saying you're not you're gonna get into trouble like tomorrow, but they're gonna send you a notice saying, okay, you didn't report it because of that. We we are gonna assess this much of taxes. So that's number one. Number two is by you know just uh, for, if you look at your Form 1040, especially starting 2020, they have this question on the page one, and uh, you know you had to provide the right answer to that question. They ask, you know, have you you know received, send, sold or exchange or acquire any financial interest. Uh, So when you say yes, I'm pretty sure that your data is going to get, you know, lumped into some type of database and they're going to do some matching uh, and they know you have something to do with crypto. So that's number two. And then another way is through subpoenas. Like, you know, a few years ago, Coinbase gets subpoenaed. And as a result, you know, they had to release uh, their custom information, including social security number, names and addresses and et cetera. So in that case, uh, the IRS could get hold of your information through to an exchange. So that's another way. And then lastly, there are a bunch of blockchain analytics tools, like Chain Analysis and Cypher Trades. So those guys, are, they, they have technology to kind of trace these you know, random addresses and wallets into physical people. So if you're not reporting it, and if it's big enough, you know, there, there's technology for IRS to know that this wallet or address is associated with this person. So those are the four ways that IRS knows you have something to do with crypto
0: so you think the IRS check box is more of a way for them to cross check data that they might be getting or forcing from the exchanges and to make sure that people are complying or not lying on their return
1: yeah yeah it's it's, it's a good question it is a possibility again they're, they're trying to pick her up because right now the IRS doesn't know the number of americans with, with cryptocurrencies because if you looked at the Coinbase as one, they, they're saying they have forty-three million users. Uh, it could be worldwide, but say that they have you know, 10 million you know, crypto users in the U.S. and there's a bunch of other you know, crypto exchanges as well. Say that number of crypto users in the U.S. is like 20 million, which is, which is very reasonable. But the problem is the number of returns that the IRS get with crypto transactions are in the, in the low thousands. So, <laughs> so, so there's a huge delta. And then IRS is like, okay, what's happening here? So I think their very first step is to kind of get a good, like a high-level understanding of okay, these are the number of people in the US with some type of crypto affiliation. Doesn't mean that they're gonna have to pay any taxes because you could just be hodling, right? But and you don't have to pay any taxes, but they would like to know by adding that question and kind of gathering the answers to that question. There's a number of people, you know, in the U.S. with crypto, say, for example, they find out, okay, there's 50 million people who say yes, yes, for that question. and They only get like thousand returns. That's a huge problem. So I think that's that's what they're trying to do.
0: So I think you mentioned, but how are they classifying crypto for tax purposes?
1: Yeah, so for tax purposes, cryptocurrencies are classified as a, as a property. Uh, it's pretty similar to stocks and securities. You know, you, you have purchase price, which we call cost basis, and you have sales price, which is you know, sales price is sales price, pretty self explanatory. And if there's a difference, you know, you pay taxes, which is typically capital gain taxes. So I think the easy way to remember is that when you trade crypto, it's it's very, very similar to, you know, trading, you know, stocks like Apple or Tesla.
0: Okay. And so what, uh, or what are the different, I guess, buckets of income that are allowed uh, within the crypto space? And I guess, is it short term, long term? <laughs> you know, is there ever ordinary?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so if you're selling your crypto after holding it for less than 12 months, which we call short term, Uh, So that's called short-term gains and short-term gains are taxed based on your tax bracket. So the tax rate could go from 10% to 37% depending on your your income. Now, if you're selling your crypto after holding it for more than 12 months, we call it long-term gains. uh, And then the long-term gains are taxed at either 0%, 15% or 20%. So the long-term rates are good. So if you really have to sell something, Make sure you sell uh, at least after holding it for more than 12 months. So those are the capital gain side of things. But in the crypto space, there could be some situations where like, you're going to get taxed at your ordinary income rate. So those are the situations where you get airdropped, or you get paid in cryptocurrency for you know performing some services to to a company, or you go to a hard fork, um, or you are earning uh, DeFi interest income or anything similar. Those are situations where you had to pay ordinary income taxes as opposed to capital gain taxes.
0: Now, on the short-term capital gain and or long-term, can the uh, investment surtax uh, 3.8% or whatever apply to that also? Uh,
1: So the 3.8 net investment income tax, yes, it it does apply if you exceed certain income threshold. I think, I don't remember the thresholds on the top of my head, but If you're married filing joint leave, you make over $300,000 or more, then in addition to that, for example, let's say long-term capital gain 20%, you also have to pay a 3.8% extra net investment income tax uh, as well. But it's not applicable for everybody. It's for people who make above a certain threshold.
0: So, I mean, it can be very important to manage your trades in a sense to get into that long-term tax bracket versus the short-term.
1: Yeah, I think that's one of the easiest things that anybody could do to to reduce your taxes are nearly by, you know, fifty percent. Because if you look at the the highest order income tax rate, which is a short term capital gain tax rate, is thirty seven percent. And then the highest long term capital gain tax rate is twenty percent. So just by waiting, you know, twelve months or more, you're essentially cutting down your tax rate by, you know, fifty percent. And it's it's waiting. Um, I mean, it could be a relative thing. I think for me, I think the waiting is is relatively easy to do. It doesn't require any action from you. Obviously, you might be, you know, the timing might be bad. Sometimes you could be losing for waiting, but just by waiting 12 months or more, you could be saving uh, you know, so much money on taxes.
0: All right, well, I want to kind of go through some of the different transactions that I guess people are doing these days and maybe how it'll be affected tax-wise. So I think selling the crypto to fiat is a pretty obvious one, right?
1: Yeah, that's the, the, the most, you know, obvious one. Uh, just to give an example, say you got a Bitcoin for a thousand bucks, you're selling it for 50,000, you got to pay taxes on the difference, which is 49,000. Yeah.
0: Got it. And now the one that maybe people didn't recognize early on is is going from uh, one token to another token.
1: Yeah, it, this is something that it's, I guess it's somewhat counterintuitive to people unless they're, you know, working in taxes like me. because. They're like, okay, I didn't cash out anything, so why do I have to pay any taxes? But unfortunately, that's, that's how it is, because IRS taxes you if you have access to some type of wealth or gain, and that wealth or gain doesn't necessarily have to be in, 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 in cash. So let's take an example. Say that you, so let's go with the same example that I mentioned earlier. You have a Bitcoin for 1000 bucks, which you purchased like so many years ago, now it's worth 50000 and instead of cashing it out, what you're doing, is you're converting that Bitcoin into a bunch of Ethereum. So in this case, you're getting $50,000 worth of Ethereum, meaning you have access to some type of wealth, even though you haven't realized any cash. So that's the reason why when you go from Bitcoin to Ethereum or any crypto to crypto, you had to pay capital gain taxes on the difference between the, the cost basis of that first coin and the sales price or the disposition to Price of that uh, the first coin to to obtain the the new new token. So you don't necessarily have to have cash in your pocket, but if the coin has appreciated at the time you spent it to get another token, you, you got to pay taxes.
0: I know there was some talk for a little while a couple of years ago, I believe, about the in-kind exchange. Can you kind of give us some details on that?
1: Yeah, uh, th- there were some arguments are uh, saying that okay, you know, these are in-kind exchanges because before 2018 there was this uh, tax code section called like kind of exchange section 1031. The idea was that if you're exchanging one property to another, uh, you know, instead of paying taxes right now, you can kind of roll over your taxes into the second property and then you can kind of keep rolling over things. So some tax practitioners thought this was appropriate for crypto and they kind of did that. when one person went from one coin to another. So they never pay the taxes. Uh, because they were rolling the tax bill into the second coin, to the third coin, and fourth coin, et cetera. But this is not applicable, unfortunately. In 2019, you know, IRS came in and said, uh, you know, crypto to crypto trades are taxable. And even if you go right now to the IRS website, FAQs just have virtual currency FAQs you can see that they're specifically saying that if you're trading one cryptocurrency to another, that's a taxable transaction. So that that like-kind exchange or in-kind exchange treatment is not applicable for
0: crypto. Now, I know from experience, sometimes when you, obviously when you have multiple wallets, you might occasionally get these you know, orphan-like tokens that get dropped into your wallet, I guess otherwise known as airdrops. Can you explain that?
1: Yeah, so the airdrop is, is the other situation where that people find it, Kind of kind of uncounting theory because they're like okay I didn't this this is something that I that I got like free of charge I didn't even ask for it and right after I got it the, the price went down and why do I have to pay taxes on this again unfortunately uh, the IRS if you, if you read notice 24 2019 uh, uh, 24 it's actually a revenue rule. it's not a notice so that Revenue ruling was published to specifically address these airdrops. Unfortunately, the, the ruling is that if you're receiving an airdrop, let's say it's worth 10 bucks, you got to pay taxes on that 10 bucks. It doesn't matter if that $10 coin goes down to $2 or goes up to $20 on the next day. You got to pay order income taxes at the time you receive it. So, uh, and then airdrops, I, I think, especially this year, it's important because last year we saw Uni Airdrop, which was significant. There's a uh, you know, Spark airdrops, uh, because I know XRP is a huge community. So those people are getting XRP, uh, uh, the Spark token. Unfortunately, again, at the time you receive it, that creates a taxable event and you got to pay taxes.
0: I've seen where maybe some airdrops come into a wallet and may, the software doesn't pick up on a price because it's an unknown token that maybe hasn't traded in the marketplace long enough. How does that treated for price-wise on the day you received?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a good question. So. Uh, Iris is saying that you have a taxable event in, a, in an airdrop when you get a coin and when you have um, you know, dominion and control over it. In simple terms, what it means is you have the coin and you have the ability to transfer and move the coin. You know, that means you're you in control of that coin. And if you can prove or if you can document that, okay, at the time I gain control for this coin, uh, this coin is not you know, worth anything then you don't have to recognize an income, but then it, it comes down to the fact that, you know, you kind of, you know, keeping documentation to prove that, uh, you know, this this coin at the time I gained control over it, this, this is zero, there's no established market. So that's how I would go about it.
0: Okay. And so now a lot of people, obviously they, they might have Bitcoin and they want to move over to the Ethereum ecosystem. So they want to move over and wrap the Bitcoin to participate there, you know, is that a is that a transaction? What happens there?
1: <laughs> I feel like you 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 you're asking all the right questions, and these are the most you know frequently asked questions, specifically in the past few months, um, especially on Twitter. Yeah, again, so just to kind of give a background for people, so say that you have Bitcoin and you want to kind of play with you know Ethereum, you know lending and etc. Unfortunately, you cannot do it with Bitcoin because Bitcoin doesn't have that ERC twenty uh, standard. So. The workaround is that you convert Bitcoin into WBTC or, or wrapped Ethereum. So with wrapped Ethereum, you can do whatever you want with the, uh, with, with, uh, in the Ethereum ecosystem. Now, the question is, is it considered a crypto to crypto trade? Because you, you're putting your you know, Bitcoin into some type of platform and you're receiving wrapped Bitcoin. Uh, which is a separate coin, and you can trade wrapped, coin, you know, wrapped Bitcoin, uh, you know, in other exchanges, etc. Um, again, IRS hasn't said anything directly about it. There's, I guess, there's two positions that you can take. The conservative position is that, you know, you're, you're converting Bitcoin into wrapped Bitcoin, which is a different coin, you know, in the eyes of the IRS, so that's considered a crypto-to-crypto trade, which sucks for the taxpayer because you got to pay taxes for no reason because you didn't want to sell it, but you still had to pay taxes. Um, again, that's the most conservative push. And then the, the second, uh, you know, somewhat aggressive thing you can do is that, you know, kind of document your, your, your workflow and the process saying that, okay, I did convert my Bitcoin to wrap Bitcoin, but my intention was not to sell. My intention was to add additional functionality to the Bitcoin. Um, so I can, you know, work in the, uh, you know, ERC-20 environments. In that case, that would not be considered a taxable event because you're just, you're just the same Bitcoin. You didn't, you didn't want to sell. So those are the two portions that I, that I usually tell, like anybody. And then I've seen, you know, some clients, you know, taking the most conservative portion because they don't want to get into any type of trouble. And some people are like, you know, let's just take the aggressive approach because that's what makes the most sense. If the IRS comes after them, you know, then they will, you know, deal with it at
0: that time. So I know that, you know, over obviously the last year with the, the automated market makers that there's a, a lot of need for liquidity on these decentralized exchanges. So can you discuss what happens when, you know, people are providing those liquidity pairs on the DEXs and the yeah. rewards?
1: Yeah. It, again, everybody is doing these, you know, liquidity provide, you know, providing and, you know, those rewards in a different way. Uh, you know, Uniswap is doing in a different way than, you know, other platforms. So I think, again, without knowing the specific, without without talking about the specific exchange, it's really hard to kind of generalize, but just to kind of give you, I guess, a high level idea, like whenever you earn something, like in almost all the cases, when you provide liquidity, you're getting some type of reward. So that's taxable, you know, as older income, because that's this new income. I would say, I, again, it, it's, So in the case of UNICEF, I'll just give an example. Uh, You know, in the case of UNICEF, like, you know, you have, you know, two pairs, you know, you had to put, you know, the same ratio. And as soon as those ratio is inside a liquidity pool, that that ratio changes like every second. So in that case, you know, you had to, this is why I said you need to look into that specific liquidity provider and the liquidity pool to see how it functions. In the case of Uniswap, what makes the most sense is to take a PNL type of approach, meaning you have an entry price for the pool and then the exit price and the difference, if it's a positive, then you would recognize it as income versus tracking all those microtransactions happening inside the pool. Yes, again, uh, and lastly, there's no set guidance on this because it's pools and you know, providing liquidity and especially in the case of things like you know, Uniswap. Uh, IRS and other regulators have never seen these type of things, so right now we are in the stage where that we just kind of had to come up with our own, you know, you know tax rules based on, based on uh, you know reasonable assumptions.
0: And so when you know, uh, so how do you see the difference in like let's say, BlockFi interest that's paid out monthly versus these rewards that you get?
1: There's not much difference. Uh, I think in the case of UNICEF, it's different because you know that there's a there's a ratio thing going on. In the BlockFi case, it's not you just you know putting your money and then you're just getting an interest. And in the case of BlockFi, they make it even easier. You have an option to get paid in U.S. dollars, which is like very very straightforward. You know you just had to plug that number in the return. But uh, I, I'm pretty sure a lot of people are not doing that. They opt in to get paid their interest in Bitcoin, so you have more upside. So in in that case, it's pretty much similar. Anytime if you're getting a reward, uh, it could be in terms of, you know, uh, interest or any type of other reward that's going to get taxed as an order income at the time you receive
0: it. All right. So basically, whenever you're providing liquidity, you're looking, the rewards, you're looking at ordinary type income.
1: Yeah, for the most part, yes.
0: And so when you're providing... A token, and you're staking it for rewards. How do you see that?
1: Yeah. So again, staking, IRS has, hasn't said anything about staking. Going with the with the basics, you know, tax principles and laws we know. Uh, every time those you know staking rewards hit your wallet, that's considered order income, and yeah, just similar to mining
0: income. And why do you think that everyone views it that way versus like I don't know interest income or you know how does it, how do you guys arrive at that?
1: Yeah. I mean, so in the case of staking, it's so again. It looks like interest income, but if you look at the IRS code, in order for something to be tagged as interest income, it has to be derived from, you know, forbearance of money to some type of institution. And there's no money involved here because, you know, you're, you're staking a property. So that's why technically, uh, you know, IRS doesn't call it interest income.
0: Okay. And I guess, you know, is, that, is there anything else that we didn't cover when it comes specifically to tokens?
1: No, I think, I think we covered, I think... You know, there's a lot of these edge cases. I think if you don't want to get into trouble, I think this is what I say all, all, all the time, like when in doubt, just assume it's taxable. But again, make sure you, you hire like a good CPA. So, so, so that CPA knows like, you know, that CPA should know the taxes and also the technology side of things. So, so he can use his judgment to kind of tell you, okay, there's no tax guidance on this specific case. But based on the information that we have, this is what we're going to do. And then you got to stick to that and be consistent. And then, then you should be good to go until we get further clarity.
0: And for a common theme, pretty much in the U.S. as a U.S. resident, is it, is it pretty safe to say that if you buy something, anything in this world and re- sell it, basically, typically it's a t- uh, taxable event, right? Um, is that- if,
1: you, if you buy crypto using U.S.C., that's not a taxable event. So, I mean,
0: the sell of an something that yeah. you bought at a greater price is a taxable event, whether that's a, a token or a bag of whatever, right? I mean, typically in the US, if you make any profit, it's supposed to be reportable.
1: Th- that is right. Again, there there are some exceptions. Yeah. Like for example, if you sell your primary residence, like you know, up to certain amount is excludable from taxes, but yeah, generally you're right. If you sell something at a profit, that's a
0: taxable event. It was just interesting because when everyone was kind of like, oh, we didn't know it would be taxable. I'm like, listen, if you thought you were going to make any money as a U.S. resident, you should know something's going to be taxable. Yeah. But we're Moving on, lately, on Twitter, everywhere, everyone's hot on NFTs, right? Yeah. There's the uh, artists that are minting them, there's the buyers, and then there's the resellers. Can you kind of go through those different steps and how they're being taxed?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, so NFTs, are non-fungible tokens, I mean... The principles are the same. Like we just discussed, if you're making a profit, like, you know, if you're a reseller, you, you paid an NFT thousand bucks and you're selling it between thousand, you gotta pay taxes on, you know, $19,000. Uh, that's capital gain because you're, you're a seller. But if you're a creator and if you're in the business of creating stuff, that then it you so you can sell your, you know, NFT, let's say like a picture for like, uh, you know, you know Twenty thousand dollars, so we—I don't know, like you know, half a bitcoin or something like that. So that's considered ordinary income for you because you're in the business of creating stuff. So those are the two distinctions that we need to know. Like if you're if you're a creator, that's a different tax treatment, and if you're a seller, uh, you know that's a
0: different tax. Treatment. So with all the millions of dollars that are kind of you know tr- being transacted right now, do you believe the IRS is going to spend a lot more time to keep an eye on this on chain with certain companies?
1: Yeah, the IRS, uh, I believe they have an agreement with chain analysis and uh, chain analysis have helped them, uh, you know, numerous times when it comes to dissecting these, you know, criminal activity, you know, happening in the blockchain, especially in the dark net and etc. So yeah, they have an ongoing inter- relationship with the chain analysis. And then last year, IRS, you um, uh, published this, you know, job opening. Uh, it's like for these contractors, so they were soliciting uh, private companies to come and um, de-anonymize uh, Monero and uh, Zcash transactions. So I don't know what happened. You know, I'm pretty sure there's technology to to kind of you know dissect those you know blockchains. You know, which I consider to be privacy concern. Uh, you know, privacy focus. Yeah, Iris is definitely you know, especially in the criminal investigation side of things, They're working with these you know technology company to. Uh, Uncovered these criminal activities.
0: And that was kind of put out there in a bounty like offer, right?
1: Yeah, that was a bounty for, uh, it was a big amount. I don't know. 600,
0: 650, something in that round? Something like that. 650,000, something like that. Do you think that, uh, you know, also, I think because on their whistleblower thing, they typically have some kind of payout. Do you think a bounty of this type is going to start happening more often where maybe they're limited by the internal resources. So they start putting out rewards for external people. and That's a way for, you know, I guess people to earn a living, right?
1: Yeah, I think there are, there are some people, uh, you know, who, I mean, th- their main source of income is whistleblowing. Like they're, and they're, um, uh, this could be for the IRS and could be the SEC or other regulators. In the case of IRS, I don't, in my, again, I could be wrong. Uh, I haven't, IRS is not our agency that rely like, you know, massively on whistleblowing. SEC is for, for sure. And even if they are, you know, providing like a bounty or something like that, you know, that's that's most likely that's going to be for criminal cases, you know, not for like, you know, civil cases where like, you know, somebody forgot to report, you know, 100,000 and, you know, that that's not the case. Uh, but for criminal investigation cases, you know, I'm pretty sure they have those, you know, programs
0: established. So on the tax matter, when determining the how you're going to utilize the uh, transactions whether it's first in last out or optimization can you kind of describe that
1: yeah so uh, the accounting method that you use to calculate your gains and loss you know has the biggest impact on your tax bill because the accounting method tells the IRS which specific unit that you're selling and that has a big burden because as you guys remember your gains equals your sales price minus the cost basis now there are several accounting methods that you can use. For example, you can use FIFO, first in, first out. So in that case, you're always selling the unit which you acquired the early. and it could be you know higher price or lower price. It doesn't matter. You just go by the date. And in some cases, that could be useful. Or you could use LIFO, that's called you know last in, first out. That means you're always selling the unit which you uh, you know purchased the, the most frequently purchased unit. What I usually see like a lot of people are doing and this is the, the most tax advantage is accounting method, uh, it's called HIFO, highest in first out. So there what you do is you're essentially selling the unit which you paid the highest amount for, uh, and thereby, you know, you're minimizing your gains. And to in order for you to use HIFO, you need to have detailed records of each transaction, unique identifier, this and etc. So that's where like a crypto tax tool come in handy, like for example, in CoinTrack, it's just a matter of clicking a button When you click HIFO, it just calculates all your taxable income and tax forms uh, using HIFO. So yeah, HIFO is generally good for, I would say 99% of the tax, you know, taxpayers, uh, it produces the least amount of gains. But again, there could be edge cases where either FIFO, 4 life some other variations could be more useful.
0: So once you have done a report for a year, does the system actually mark that transaction as being used for that year? And then can you choose a different one the following year?
1: Yeah. Um, so IRS is saying that you could, you know, there's two it could be there is there's two methods. There's specific identification, uh, meaning like you know, you can pick and choose whatever you're selling. If you have all the information, if not, you default to FIFO. So, you know, HIFO, highest in first out is actually a subset of specific identification because you here, you're you making the unit which is which is which you which, uh, which had the highest cost basis. Now the question is can you jump from you know highful to FIFO and, and et cetera? If you think about this logically. Uh, again, this is a logical reasoning. IRS hasn't said this you know, directly. Um, if you have all the information to prove that you can maintain specific identification with it, meaning you have all the records, what that means is you could go from s- specific ID to you know, FIFO to life and et cetera, because at that point, you're essentially picking and choosing each unit that you're selling, and you can legally do that because you have all the information retained in your records. So to answer your question, yes, you can jump from, you know, one method to another, logically speaking, if you can meet the criteria for specific identification.
0: Now, if you have a big game with some, uh, you know, losses and you're towards the end of the year and you kind of want to participate, you know, can you, you know, basically take your losses and rebuy back in?
1: Yeah. Uh, so this is one good thing about crypto is that, you know, because they're treated as property, they're not, up, they're not subject to wash sale rules. Like, for example, let's say you got a stock and you're, you're selling it at a loss and you're buying it back on the next day. IRS will not allow you to take that loss as a loss on your taxes because they're like, okay, you just sold this stock to create a loss because you just got back into the same stock within like a couple of days. so It's called a wash sale rule. And that window is actually 30 days. So you actually had to wait more than 30 days uh, to get back into the stock. And, and claim the loss from the from the first transaction. But for luckily, cryptocurrencies are not subject uh, to this rule because these are treated as property as opposed to stocks and securities. So what you can do is, you know, every quarter, every month, you can see where your portfolio is. If your portfolio is in the red, meaning your you know your cost base is higher than the market value, you could essentially sell those losing positions and harvest the loss and quickly get back into the same position to to maintain the upside. So so that way you you're kind of getting a tax relief for, for that, you know, for that, because your cost base is higher than the market value.
0: Now, what I, one thing that I've seen that some people don't discuss about, or maybe think about as much when just, you know, do, participating in that is that it resets the time period for the long-term capital gains, right? And some people don't think about that when they go to do it, because if it's end of the year, and then you think this following year might be the cycle in which you take your profits that uh, could interrupt with your tax bracket, correct? Yeah,
1: it, it does. So whenever you sell something, that ends a capital gains clock for that lot, and then when you buy it, you know you, you start a new capital gains clock. So this is why, like you know, if you're really serious about tax planning, you gotta sit down, sit down with the CPA, and every quarter, like you had to figure out, okay, should I tax harvest it? If I harvest this much of losses, what kind of impact that would make in my overall tax bill? Is it even worth doing that type of thing? And that's not something you can figure out just by looking at your portfolio because your final tax bill is based on so many factors, your W-2 income, your business income, credits, your number of dependents you have, and et cetera. That's why you need to sit down with a CPA who understand everything, not only your crypto fees, but everything, and just, just come up with a plan, okay, if I'm harvesting losses, how much losses should I harvest? And is there a net positive benefit for you by harvesting that losses?
0: All right, so I guess we, we're on to tax strategies and how one could participate in a tax friendly environment and that kind of brings me to the ira structure you know so what are the possibilities there
1: yeah so uh, ira is one strategy i think uh, i see a lot of people doing this these days so these are called self-directed IRAs. So essentially, you know, if you Google for self-directed IRA of crypto, you'll see you know, a bunch of companies. So essentially you you trade your crypto inside one of these custodial accounts and your gains are tax sheltered until your retirement age, which is like, you know, 70 and a half years old. And there there's some you know a lot of complexities and et cetera. Uh, but some of these platforms, you know, make things, you know, really easy. And this is a great way for you to kind of, you know, get upside and you know, kind of do your trading, you know, realize any capital gains, but you don't have necessarily taxes today you just pay taxes at the time you you know retire and in, in some cases you don't even pay taxes at the time you get money out of the retirement because you're, you're creating your fraud money I meaning you already paid taxes on that money so again this is this is another complex subject but just know that make sure you go with one of these you know reputable companies and they will guide you to these uh, these ideas
0: well, I know out there there's uh i guess the companies that will allow you to, I guess we we'll call it self direct through their exchange, we'll say. And then there's those that uh, advertise for your own LLC where you're kind of managing within the wallets, correct?
1: Yeah, I think those, so there's, there's self-checked IRAs and there's checkbook IRA. There's a concepts that, you know, somewhat similar, again, this is another like area that irs has not been you know very very clear about like certain edge cases again that's why you know it's really important that you know you go with a reputed company so they can guide you through the process because there's so many like you know rules and regulations that you need to abide by to get to to make those you know profits tax free yeah and you try to like you cannot like avoid you know you kind of skipping those things so you just had to make sure that your platform provider are, is completely aware about these rules because at the end of the day, you know, what's the point of, you know, you're doing all these trades, but then you get it out, like it's taxable, then you'd know, you have rather done it, you know, without paying these fees through a virus IRA. So make sure you, you find like a reputable uh, provider.
0: So I guess one situation uh, when you're investing with your IRA that you could run into is that if you have wallets that end up getting airdrops and or some kind of staking you're involved in, then technically, if that's generating ordinary income, could that be subject to also filing a 990T and, and how to kind of track that if it yeah. gets an airdrop in the IRA account? <laughs> so
1: the, this is why, like, you know, you need to use like a good custodian. Usually yep. the IRA itself has a tax filing obligation, which is not a form 1040, it's, it's another form. Um, and if you're using a, a custodian, you, you, you're paying like a fee and that, that fee takes care of your tax filings, And then, you know, uh, and, and everything. So, because if you don't file a tax return for the IRA, you know, that, that, that's not good because that, that means you're exposing yourself for much more risk. But again, those tax returns and those transaction classifications are done by the custodian. and They're doing most of the work for you and for you, it's just a matter of funding.
0: So like to sum that up, pick pick a, good, a great software and pick a good custodian, right? On that side? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pick,
1: uh, yeah, pick, pick a custodian because if you're using a custodian, like they are integrated with software because they need to figure out like, you know, what to report to the IRS, to their return. So you don't, you don't necessarily have to do anything because whatever you create inside the IRA, like that doesn't go on your personal tax return. So you're completely fine. So uh,
0: something to keep in mind. Now beyond the, you know, we'll call it the uh, tax harvesting or the IRAs or any other strategies that investors can participate in?
1: Yeah, um, I mean, I think the easiest thing is just, just hodling, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah. You have nothing to do. Just, just hold completely tax free. And, and actually holding for Bitcoin, if you really think about it, it's, it's extremely like completely tax-free because if you think about it if you're holding like a piece of land you got to pay real estate taxes and so many other things right if you're holding like a house or a rental property you got to pay you know you know repairs and etc but if you're just holding bitcoin like it's completely tax-free all you have to do is just, just make sure you secure it directly on a hardware wallet and yeah just keep so that that's the easy one i would say the second easiest one if you really had to sell just sell it after keeping them for more than 12 months so that way it's long-term. Uh, you're getting better tax rates. Uh, I would say the third thing would be kind of uh, playing with those, you know, accounting methods and pick the one that fits your needs. And typically, high for high, in first out, you know, reduces your tax bill. So that's one. Uh, I mean, number four could be, I mean, again, it, it depends on your person's situation. You could consider moving to a state with no income taxes. You know, there's a bunch of states uh, like Texas, Florida, there are two examples. So that way, you're Essentially, cutting that state income taxes, which could range from six percent to thirteen percent, something like that. Yeah, I think those are like those are the I would say those are some of the like you know very like main you know tax saving strategies when it comes to when it comes to crypto.
0: And what do you think about uh, taking a loan out against your crypto? Do you think that's going to become more popular as everyone gets more comfortable with the players in the market?
1: Yeah. So so the, here's the problem about taking a loan again. If you really think about the cycle, right? Taking a loan against your appreciated crypto is 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 tax free, and you can get a loan. You can spend it on Tesla or whatever you want. But the problem is, you you, you have to pay back the loan. So the question is, how are you gonna get money to pay back the loan? Because if you send your loan proceeds in groceries and Starbucks and etc., and if you don't pay back the loan, they're gonna they're gonna liquidate your collateral, creating a taxable event for you. So that that's the thing. So you, Getting a loan is good. The only time it's good is that you have a better way of investing that loan proceeds and make a higher return. So that way you can pay off the loan and have something else going as well. Otherwise right. it's not worth it.
0: I think that's about it. I mean, we have a you know, final question. We always leave off with them. That is what is the biggest thing that you have implemented in your life has increased your net worth?
1: I would say just investing in things that I cannot measure in numbers.
0: Okay. Any example there?
1: I mean, there's, there's, I think there's a lot of examples, uh, you know, some career decisions that I made, some uh, risk I've taken, like, oh, I, you know, me being a CPA, I always try to kind of quantify things, you know, <laughs> point, but, but the, the biggest returns in my life has, have come from things that I couldn't measure. Yeah, it could be like judgment and stuff like that and, you know, kind of figuring out the narrative or if it's like an investment and stuff like that. Uh, because for example, I mean, you said you invest in early stage startups, I mean, there's no financial, you just invest on in the narrative and the team. So yeah, so invest in things that, uh, you know, you, In my this is what I me, mean, investing on things that you, I, I couldn't, you know, quantify.
0: That's good. That's good. I mean, that's typically, you know, uh, where people are making a lot of money these days, right? Yep. Judgment. Yeah. <laughs> so if people want to get a hold of you, or they want to sign up for the coin tracker software, you know, what is the best way for them to go?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty active on Twitter. So it's pretty easy handle to remember at the Crypto CPA. Um, and feel free to sign up for Cointracker. It's Cointracker.io. Yeah, there's a free tier and there's a bunch of other things. And if you have any questions, I think Twitter would be the best way to reach
0: out. Well, everybody and everyone who owns crypto is going to, I believe, should have tax software. It just makes life easier. So I, you know, hope everyone reaches out to you to sign up.
1: Yeah, I mean, get something. I mean, you don't have to go with Cointracker. Just get something and just stay out of the IRS trouble.
0: Shahan, thank you for coming out today. I appreciate your time. Okay, thank you. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes and leave a rating and a review. See you on our next episode.